Imagine having someone in your corner, a person who knows how to give practical guidance that can change your life for the better. That's what therapy's been for me. And for us. I can't recommend Talkspace enough for therapy. Try it. It can change your life. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off of your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code MYTHS to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's MYTHS and Talkspace.com. Quick disclaimer for this week, there's a brief depiction of sexual assault. It's not graphic, but it's there. Please see the post on MythPodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, we're continuing the saga of Renard the Fox that we started back in episode 196. You'll see why all your meals should be enjoyed alive and struggling, and how a friend who wants to carry you with his teeth around your throat is a friend indeed. The creature this week is the embodiment of hatred, who's only looking for love. This is Myths and Legends, episode 213. What does the fox say? This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, we met a bit of a different version of Renard, the famous French fox trickster. This one, having watched his father die after a life in trickery, appeared to have gone straight. We caught up with him leading a group of prey animals around to visit holy shrines. He wasn't just leading them, but defending them too. Because when they came under attack by Isengrim, a wolf who was also a priest, and his family, Renard beat Isengrim and actually managed to kill another wolf when a donkey fell off the roof onto the beast. When the dust settled the next morning, the creatures were wary, not only of the predators that still lurked in the forest, but of the predator they feared lurked among them. The animals were gathered around the dead wolf. The dead wolf. The wolf was a predator. They were prey. They had grown up in this knowledge, lived it, a goose, a donkey, a deer, a rooster, others. Fear was a fact of life for them, but not for the fox. Renard whistled as he sawed at the dead wolf's neck. Renard, the fox. In a world of prey and predators, they thought Renard was their friend. But if you're not prey, you're a predator. And Renard killed a wolf, beat another, and chased the rest of them off with his words. The animals came to the conclusion at the same time. Renard was a predator. It started with hesitant glances from Bertolina, the row that joined their party just the day before. She asked if this, this was the first time Renard had killed. Technically, it was the donkey that killed the wolf when he fell from the roof and landed on the beast. But it was Renard's plan the other animals couldn't answer. They, they didn't know. If Renard could defeat a whole pack of wolves with his words, what would he do to them? What was he doing to them? The smell of blood scared all of them. It made them all want to abandon their quest to visit the shrines of the saints and take off in a wild run through the forest. 
to put as much distance between them and death as possible. But the animals stayed. They left Renard to do his work. The fox saying that they would never know when they would need another wolf head, and they walked off in smaller groups. He's too clever by half, Gerard, Sprottenus the rooster said to the goose. The goose shook his head. They were on this journey together. They had taken an oath together to see it through. The rooster asked what someone like the fox cared about oaths. He was a fox. They didn't change. Renard had said it himself. He guarded them last night because it was profitable. What happened when they decided to go their separate ways? I suppose we'll all be on our own then, the pair heard from behind them. The rooster clucked with surprise when he saw Renard leaning over them. But until then, we have taken an oath to stay together. And I took an oath to keep you safe, Renard said. But he didn't need to explain things to them. They were all honest animals here. It was only the dishonest ones that saw lies where there were none. They couldn't fathom a creature being honest, so no one must be. But that wasn't anyone here, was it? The rooster and the goose looked at each other. Of course not. Renard slapped both of them on their backs. Very good. All right, he yelled to the rest of the group. Everyone get packed up quickly. We're going to break camp and go. There are still wolves in the area, and we need to get out of the woods by sunset. We leave in 20. But they didn't leave in 20. The co-conspirators, Sprottenus the rooster and Gerard the goose, yes, flew the coop. And no, I'm not above that. Renard grumbled and told everyone to stay here. He would go get them back. Stay together and watch the forest. He didn't hear the wolves, but the wolves might be more careful after the previous night. The rest of the animals watched Renard the fox bounce off into the forest without a sound, leaving them outside the hostel with the remains of the wolf carcass. Ah, there he is. I'm gone. And I'd advise you to get the cluck out of here. Gerard the Goose honked the moment they saw Renard's yellow eyes watching them from the shadow of the bushes. The Goose, not wasting time, took flight. Sprottenus the Rooster wasn't so lucky. He had wings, but could only fly up a few feet before fluttering exhausted back to the ground. So, cursing Gerard, he clucked with each step for the closest structure and slipped into the shadows. Renard emerged from the bushes. An overgrown path led up to an abandoned stone church deep in the forest. It now stood with moss carpeting its side and snaking vines popping chipped bricks from the walls in a century-long demolition project. Renard looked at the church with its falling bricks and rotting wood and grimaced before slipping through the door and following the rooster inside. Sprotness? Renard called out. I don't know what you think you know, but you're safer with me than you are in here. Sprotness, come out, please. You're just like your father, Sprotness said. The good, innocent creatures never know if you're going to help them or eat them. Why? Because I killed a wolf in protecting you? Yes, very predatory of me, Renard replied. Then he heard a scurry off in the darkness. Something that wasn't a rooster. The rooster wasn't smart, or at least not as smart as the fox. Renard found him huddled in a shaft of light by a pile of leaves that had filtered in the holes in the roof from one too many autumns. 
Sprotness, can we please go? Sprotness smiled. He said he was coming back anyway. Renard should go. He would meet Renard back at camp. Renard looked over his shoulder, his unease with the darkness growing. The fox said that he preferred to go together. Now, the rooster's face contorted as the bird raised his hackles, telling Renard to back off. He flapped his wings and struck out with a spur, but Renard dodged it, holding up his own hands. The fox insisted that they were friends. He was protecting the rooster, please. The rooster shook his head. No, no more. The fox was a liar, just like his father. Renard paused. What did the rooster know about his father? Sprotness clucked. He had heard from his own father. What was it, the day before Renard's father died? He knew Renard's father was a thief, a liar. He tricked and killed animals for his own gain. Why would Renard be any different? Renard glanced off at the sound of claws on stone in the darkness. Creatures could be different from their father, he said. Renard knew this because, well, sprotness was different from his father. The rooster stood up straight, telling Renard to choose his words wisely. Sprotness's father was a great rooster with a beautiful voice and a massive harem. Renard grimaced, still very uncomfortable with that imagery, but he nodded. On that, they agreed. Sprotness's father was a great animal, and Sprotness was nothing like him. If a rooster could gasp, I, I, can they? I don't know. Sprotness would have. One wing over his chest, he staggered back. The rooster was outraged. He would have Renard know that his own harem of hens exceeded that of his father. In fact, most of them had been his father's hens. Renard grimaced as the rooster continued. Furthermore, his voice was more beautiful than his father's ever was. Renard shrugged, okay. Prove it. Here, Sprotness asked. The fox nodded, looking out on the darkness. It was a gamble, to be sure, but if he was going to have any hope of getting the rooster out of here, he had to do this. He could only imagine the eyes opening in the darkness, watching them. The rooster's head bobbed back and forth. Huh? Sure. He raised a wing and cleared his throat. Okay. Here we go. After he threw his head back, and before he crowed, Renard grabbed the rooster by his neck, just as his father had done to Sprontness's father. He wrenched the rooster from the stone floor, turned, and ran as fast as he could for the door. For the light. He didn't know if he actually heard them, but he imagined a dozen shadowy predators sprinting behind them. Renard exploded with a squint into the daylight and kept running. When his eyes adjusted to the light, with Sprontness screaming, the fox's teeth were around his neck, there were more noises. Renard blinked, and there were people, travelers on the road, humans. They took one look at Renard, with Sprontness in his mouth, and knew what was happening. The fox was killing this poor rooster, Flashbacks of Renard's dad's death filled his mind, of the old fox being bludgeoned to death for simply being near a goose, let alone having one in his jaws. Renard ran. If you're so noble, why don't you tell them as much? Stop and explain the whole situation to them. I'm sure they'll understand. Sprontness mocked. Renard sneered. People didn't understand anything. People came and consumed and polluted and left, but they were big and powerful with their weapons nearly as smart as Renard. Still, Renard didn't see how he had a whole lot of options. 
he had to stop and explain things to them. He spat out sprontness, turned, and barked to the humans as he dodged cudgels that he was protecting the rooster, not hunting it. Still, the people wouldn't listen. They saw what they wanted to see. A predator on the prowl, taking a defenseless chicken back to his burrow to tear it to pieces. With a flap, Sprontness was out of Renard's grasp. And as much as Renard, who ran back and forth to avoid the people, begged Sprontness to come down from the tree, up which he had flown. But the rooster refused. Their trip was over. He was going home. And everyone would know what type of animal Renard was. Renard growled and took off back toward the pilgrims at the hostel, outpacing the humans in a matter of minutes. When he arrived there, they were gone. They were all gone. The fire had been doused, and the provisions raided. There was blood on the ground. There had been a fight, over the food, no doubt. Maybe the ram battered the roe, who knew? Renard sniffed at the ground. There would be no following them, because there was no them anymore. Bernard had been the only thing holding the group together. He was hoping to make some honest money out of this, yeah, but also, being in the presence of so many animals helped him, too. There was a reason prey animals traveled in herds. Now that he was alone, he was well aware that the wolves still lurked in the forest, and, most of all, that they were angry with Bernard for killing one of their own. They would eat the others if they found them, but they would take their time with Bernard. He glanced again at the forest. He had to get out of here. You can stay as long as you like, the human farmer said to Renard. The fox thanked the man. In the barn, though, the farmer clarified, you're not a pet. Renard nodded. They could both agree on that. The farmer was one that Renard had met by accident a couple years back. The farmer needed some help getting his sheep in line, and his sheepdog had just died. Renard not only helped him with the herd, but defended them against some predators. He and the farmer got along great, too. And before Renard left, the farmer offered the fox a place to stay, should he ever need it. And Renard did need it. The wolves were hunting him. He had made it to the farm ahead of the howls. And, from the barn... Each night, he could see the shapes patrolling the darkness. They had followed his scent to the farm. They knew he was alone, but they didn't dare get closer, lest they rouse the anger of the humans. The last thing the wolves wanted was the humans banding together for a hunt. Renard stayed in the barn, caring for the sheep, and thinking, thinking about how he chased that rooster, the thrill of it. It wasn't merely to help the creature, it was something else. He thought about his teeth around Sprontness's neck as he ran. How somewhere in the back of his mind, he liked it. And with the slightest bite, he could tear open his friend. And Renard was roused from thought by a howl. Somewhere on the edge of the farmer's land, Isengrim, he was here. He would be bolder than the rest. Renard no longer had weeks. He had days. The farmer pulled open the barn door and struggled to balance the armful of pies. That's an awful lot for dinner, Bernard remarked. It's not dinner, the farmer replied. It's a parting gift. Ever since you came, I've been seeing wolves. 
I don't know what you're involved in, and I want to help, but I can't have wolves here, Renard. I got sheep I need to look out for. Renard nodded. He understood. He knew it wasn't personal, and thanked the farmer for the man's hospitality. The last thing Renard wanted to do was put him or his livelihood in danger. He would leave in the morning. The farmer thanked the fox, and asked if there was anything else the animal needed. Renard looked at the pile of meat pies, and a burlap sack in the corner. It took a minute, but he nodded. Yeah, actually, there was. How was the farmer at doing haircuts? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Causing a lot of trouble for me, Isengrim said. It had taken the morning, but he found Renard on the road. Thought you'd be lurking in the shadows, running from bush to bush. That you would make this fun for me, Isengrim said, picking something from his teeth with his tongue. Probably better you didn't. I'm a little slower now that I caught up with some of your friends. I gave them a good death, though. 
did the last rites and everything. They weren't friends, Bernard said, trying not to think of Gerard or Spronton as Sir Bertolina running from the wolf before being pinned and torn open. That was a long con that you messed up. Bernard took a deep breath and muttered something to himself. He apologized to the wolf. That wasn't who he was anymore. You see, brother, Bernard continued, I've decided to go down the straight and narrow path. Father, Isengrim corrected the fox. He was a priest. Well, I'm a monk now, Bernard said. Isengrim grimaced. Well, that explained the haircut and the burlap habit. Hey, would Renard mind taking those off? Isengrim wanted to eat him and that would just get in the way. Renard shook his head. Oh, Isengrim, there was a better way. A more peaceful way. Renard asked to show the wolf and reached into his bag, producing a meat pie. He set it down in front of the wolf and Isengrim devoured it immediately. That, that was way better than consuming a terrified animal raw, bones, blood, and all. Right, Renard said. The fox confided that he had been terrified, but on the run from Isengrim and his family, when one rainy evening, he found himself in the doorway of an abbey. The monks took him in, and they fed him. Renard asked if Isengrim knew why monks were always so far away and isolated. Isengrim shrugged, salivating, as Renard tossed him another meat pie. They needed seclusion and to be separate from the world to better follow God and blah, blah, blah. Renard shook his head. That's what he thought, but no. It was to protect and hide all their awesome stuff. Monasteries? Non-stop parties. Food, wine, music. So, Renard joined their order, telling them he knew of this awesome party guy who would be a great addition to their club. And this? Renard revealed the sack full of meat pies. This was what they gave him for breakfast. Show me, show me this mystical, wonderful place now, the wolf said. And Renard tossed him another pie. In under an hour, the pair was outside of the monastery, peeking at it from the forest. I don't know. Seems kind of dead, Isengrim remarked. Renard made a point of rolling his eyes. Did the wolf listen to nothing he had said? Of course it looked dead. They wanted it to look dead. That was their scheme. Make following God look like a bunch of boring sacrifice and then party all the time with wine and pie. When Renard walked in the first time, they tried to trick him and make him think that they were all singing prayers and taking vows of silence or something. Isengrim just needed to stick with it, though. And soon, they would reveal themselves. Besides, Renard had already vouched for Isengrim. Renard walked Isengrim to the door, knocked, and then began walking away. You're not coming? Isengrim asked, as they heard someone inside coming to the door. Renard shook his head. No, he was on his own recruitment mission. He was going to talk to some others and come back, though. When he did, he hoped to find Isengrim neck deep in wine. That was something they did here, too, by the way. It was wild. Isengrim grinned again and turned his face to the monk who answered the door. Renard waved to them and said that this was Isengrim. Isengrim nodded, addressing the monk as brother, and strode past the confused human and into the monastery. A week later, Isengrim 
finally broke. When were they going to get to it? He saw through them. He knew what was up. When did the party start? The monks looked at each other, shrugged, and then looked back to the wolf in his habit with his shaved head. They pointed to the sun. All right, your vows of silence, he said, making air quotes with his paws, but, you know, being incorrect because they were actual literal vows of silence. Well, if they weren't going to talk, he was. He had been here a week, so naturally, he felt like he should be running this place. He had some ideas to make them more pious so they could have more fun. All this temperance stuff was nice, but all the small meals and just bits of wine, yeah, it was, sure, virtuous. Wouldn't it be more virtuous, though, if they ate all the food and drank all the wine right at once? If a little bit is good, all of it has to be better. The monks, seeing that Isengrim didn't get the basic tenets of what they were doing here, gestured again to the sun, trying to explain that they would talk this evening when, you know, they were allowed to talk. Isengrim said, cool, whatever. If anyone needed him, he would be in the pool. The monks nodded. Good. At least he would be out of their hair and not tempting them to break their vows with shouts of rage and... Wait, pool? They found him, of course, in the wine cellar. He had cracked open a couple of barrels, found an empty one, broke it in half, and set it on its side. He then filled it up with the nice red wine, munched on some bread and cheese he pilfered from the kitchen, and settled in. Renard was right. This was nice. He was annoyed that he couldn't truly relax in his bathtub full of wine because the monks were pounding at the door outside. After draining most of the tub, Isengrim rose and wrapped a towel around himself. He staggered over to the door and opened it. The monks nodded. Well they had a problem. The monks took it in stride. The abbot, who had the same beliefs as Isengrim about gluttony and piety, took one look at the ransacked wine cellar. This wasn't the first time Isengrim had grabbed his crazy straw to make a wine jacuzzi and dropped to the ground, tearing out his hair and weeping. The other monks got the abbot out of there, and after another sip or twelve, Isengrim dressed and followed. They found the abbot beside himself, saying that he was done. He resigned. The monks asked, who was going to lead them? I'll do it, Isengrim piped up. He had a lot of ideas. The men looked at each other. It would take a night of prayer. They needed to consult God. They would speak with the wolf in the morning. Morning came, and the monks entered Isengrim's cell, his sleeping chamber, bearing the robes of an abbot. After much prayer and fasting, God had made the way clear. Isengrim was to lead them. Isengrim started to slip on the robe, but the monks stopped him. No, no, no. There was a whole ceremony. While they walked out to the courtyard, Isengrim detailed what would be the new agenda in the Isengrim administration. Meat pies, of course. But Isengrim also noticed the herds of sheep that the monks kept. Isengrim's new platform was that each monk should have a sheep at every meal. A live one. They could kill it themselves. It was wild. It was awesome. More fun that way. Each of them should consume the entire sheep. Bones, skin, meat, everything. And anyone who didn't would be branded on the ears for their wastefulness. In fact, he didn't know what all that junk was cluttering up the monastery. Like chalices, bells, books, censers, Bibles. All of that should be sold to buy more sheep. He wanted the floor slick with sheep blood at all time. 
Scripture was clear about this, Isengrim said. Try everything. Hold fast to what is good. Isengrim didn't know if the monks ever tried killing and consuming a struggling sheep with just their teeth, but that was good. The monks were in agreement. Isengrim did have a lot of ideas. A lot of them were pretty specific to wolves, but they could work with that. Did he want to get started on the ceremony to become their new abbot? (laughs) Isengrim smirked, did he? The men approached, ceremoniously holding the abbot's spittoon. All right, here comes the mitre, the fancy tall hat, and the anointing oil. They emptied the spit out on Isengrim's head, and the wolf grimaced. That didn't feel like oil. They shushed him, and they took the mitre, what was supposedly the hat, but it was really a clay spittoon, and brought the upturned clay pot down hard on the wolf's head. The brothers were puzzled. Huh, did it not fit? They should try again. The second time, it broke into 30 pieces, most of the shards sticking to the spit on the wolf's face. The mitre thing kind of makes sense, at least from a, I don't know, metaphorical perspective. The next one, not so much. The outgoing abbot insisted on giving the new abbot some cake, so he took two massive pepper grinders and beat the wolf with them. Another brother, bearing a bell, said that they needed to consecrate the wolf more fully and so he rung the bell on Isengrim's head while the abbot beat him with pepper grinders ten times. On the eleventh, Isengrim didn't rise again. They rubbed a horse head on his nose because, I don't know, reasons? That was supposed to be medicine, but gross. It kind of looks like these monks have a lot of aggression that they were just waiting to work out on a medium-sized animal. Finally, with Isengrim slowly coming to, the blacksmith emerged from the monastery, saying that he had some sweet music to help Isengrim relax after a stressful ceremony. He brought his bow, what you play a violin with, and he was going to play a little bit. Of course, the bow was a red-hot length of iron, and the violin was Isengrim's neck. That helped the old wolf return to consciousness as he leapt up, yelping, and ran from the priory. The monks were laughing and yelling for their new abbot. Come on! He's leaving his hat and violin. Isengrim ran until he couldn't run anymore. Until he was home. There, he found his children, his new pups, weeping. And his wife missing. It seemed Renard had stopped by. Knock-knock, Renard said hours earlier, as he knock-knocked. The wolf pups looked up to the visitor and saw that he was a fox, not their long-awaited, still-unseen father. Ah, and who might your father be? Renard asked, knowing full well that their father was Isengrim. But they didn't know that, because they were less than a day old. Renard had been hovering, listening nearby to the wolf den for a week or so. He knew that the mother was in the next room, recovering from just having given birth to three pups. Our father's name is Isengrim, I think, one of the pups remarked. He is, I know him well, Renard said. I know he's old, really old. He'll probably die soon, Renard said to the babies. Also, he's the worst, so be a credit to your family and be nothing like your father. Two of the babies were confused and 
started to cry at the thought of their dad dying. All three of them took what Renard said to heart, as it was one of the very first things they had ever heard about their father. Ah, babies, don't cry, Renard said. Don't be sad just because you're the spawn of a monster who will probably never really love you before he's quickly approaching death. Do you want some milk, babies? Feel better? Renard asked. The babies stopped crying, eyes big and wet. They all nodded. Aw, babies, of course. Uncle Bernard will get you some milk, he said. So, Bernard unzipped his pants and peed on the baby wolves. The wolves might not have been a day old, but after a brief taste, they knew that this was not milk, at least not like the milk their mother had given them. Also, it burned their eyes. A screaming, crying howl went up from the babies. Bernard snickered and took off. The mother, Isengrim's wife, smelled the urine and immediately realized that there was a fox in their den and took off after the animal. But Renard was already a step ahead of her. So she slowed and tried a different tactic, calling out to Renard to come back. Renard was just going to leave without saying hi. At the very least, they could entertain the handsome fox. He could get some kisses before he goes. At that, Renard slowed. Oh, it was like that, huh? Running? But Bernard said he wasn't running. He had just gone outside to use the bathroom, and he was on his way back. The she-wolf made her way back to the house, and Bernard stopped to scoop up some clods of dirt and stones. Then he went to the door, put one paw over the threshold, and jumped back. The she-wolf leapt, snarled, and bit, but her mouth was empty for a moment. Since she was standing exposed in the doorway, Renard pelted her with rocks and stones before, again, taking off. Bruised and dirty, the mother barked and took off, her rage adding to her speed. Renard saw her gaining, and, spotting a dip into a valley up ahead, he smiled and changed course. The wolf snapped at the fox as Renard ran. She was getting close now. He could feel her on his tail. He ducked, dove through a spot in the rocks, and skidded to a stop. He could feel her breath on his tail, but she was no longer coming after him. She was stuck in a narrow spot in the valley that a fox could dive through, but a wolf could not. He turned, hurling insults at her snapping, contorted face. Then he looked her over. Huh. She was really stuck there, wasn't she? He scaled the rocks, careful to keep out of range of her claws. Soon, he was on the other side of her. Looking back, he remarked that, wow, she wasn't going anywhere. So, you know the phrase from the Dark Knight, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain? Well, here we are. Because Renard, seeing that the she-wolf, Isengrim's wife, was completely immobilized and helpless against any form of attack. Yeah. Look, it's not moralizing to say that this is not okay. It's so messed up. And you're like, how could this get worse? Don't worry. The story will tell you. It's not just what happened, but how it's told. Because in the eyes of the story, this isn't depicted as an assault. Because, quote, she grew to enjoy the sport. So it's all framed by not what was done to her, but by how it affects Isengrim, 
saying that Renard cared not for the sanctity of Isengrim's marriage, and that, once again, since she very allegedly enjoyed the attack, Renard cuckolded the wolf. As horrifying as this is to our modern sense of right and wrong, I kind of worry that we're not supposed to view this as an attack, or regarding the downfall of Renard, but just the fox getting even with the wolf, and that the authors didn't factor in the she-wolf's thoughts, feelings, or experience into the equation other than a way to strike out at her husband. Anyway, hours after Renard left, that was the scene Isengrim returned to. He hugged his children for the first time, who had been turned against him by the animal who then peed on them. And then Isengrim went to his wife's room, expecting to find her recovering. He followed the scent, limping to the valley, and found her trapped between the rocks. After spending most of the afternoon trying to get her free, he finally did, taking her into his arms, and both of them helping each other back home, swearing that they would both see Renard pay for his crimes if it was the last thing they did. So, that's where we're going to leave it this week, and yes, it is horrifying, and even more so, because the writers don't really see his assault as a problem. And that being said, the other translation I was using really framed his rape of the she-wolf as a consensual thing, saying that he seduced her. This one, I guess, also framed it as a consensual thing, while describing it as exactly not that. I wanted Bernard to have a heroic, conflicted arc this time going so far as to name the last episode chaotic good, but I can't take Zeus to task constantly for his horribleness while glossing over Renard's crimes in one version just because I wanted him to be a hero. Anyway, like soup? How about demon dance parties? Well, if you do, you'll like next week's episode when we dive into a couple of wonderful, bizarre Japanese fairy tales. If you'd like to support the show, for less than the price of a potato pal, a potato with a hopefully non-toxic image of someone you love or hate's head, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that won't be unnerving or cathartic, depending on your feelings regarding the person. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Vo from Scottish folklore. The Vo a malicious water creature's name apparently means hatred. And I feel like when your name is hatred, there aren't too many directions for you to go. They're Kelpie-like, which in this context means shape-shifting Celtic water monster that enjoys killing people. They're not party horses, like in episode 72. If you catch one out of the water, so before it catches you and pulls you into the water, they are all women, garbed in green with Voldemort-style noseless faces yellow hair, and webbed feet. They prefer to come out at night, but will make a trip during the daytime if they have a reason to. And that reason? Love. They enjoy intellectual and uh, physical companionship with humans. And I guess there are Scottish families that can trace their bloodlines back to a bored Vaux, whose great-great-grandpas were into yellow hair and Voldemort faces. Not judging. That being said, apparently their offspring with humans have manes and tails. So, I don't know where those eventually went, but maybe they could get some use out of that shampoo. If you're down for trying to catch a supernatural killer, you can surprise them and, quote, 
torture them into submission using a steel awl or sewing needle. Torturing anyone is not really something I'm into, but doing it to a suspected monster tracks for a superstitious medieval villager. The interrogation did not go well, though, because when they shined a bright light on her, she turned into a jellyfish-like mass and disappeared. So yeah, if you catch this monster, you can probably skip all the weird and uncomfortable torture stuff and just shine a light on it and it'll turn into a jellyfish mass and go away. You might want to put a tarp down first. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.